You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Let me welcome you back to the, the coronavirus social distancing uh, editions of the Zeitgeist podcast from AICGS. Uh, we are really delighted to have today a discussion about the, the meanings and the memories of the end of World War II uh, in Europe. May 8th was, of course, a VE Day, and it was marked uh, across uh, the world, but in particular fashion in Germany last week. And I would uh, draw attention to a speech given by German President Steinmeier uh, in front of the Neue Wache in, in Berlin. Uh, you can look to the show notes to find links to the English and German versions uh, of the speech. It was a remarkable speech for a few reasons, but I think one of the things that uh, really struck me was the way in which he talked about uh, the, uh, the meaning of liberation. Uh, Germany having been liberated in 1945, from Nazi tyranny, and uh, what that uh, liberation meant today. Uh, and so I'm going to turn to my uh, colleague, senior fellow and director of our Society uh, Culture and Politics program, uh, Dr. Eric Langenbacher. Uh, and we have a special guest today, Mario Daniels, who is a visiting DAAD professor at Georgetown University. Uh, soon to be a visiting DAAD professor in Amsterdam, if I understand correctly. Uh, uh, Mario, you're joining us from Hanover. Uh, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Eric, uh, why don't you why don't you start us off um, and and let's talk a little bit about uh, about uh, memory and memorialization uh, of of May eighth and and what that means and how that meaning has changed. Well, one of the things that I think is really fascinating is this interplay between how average Germans uh, remember a date uh, after the fact and what the official discourse and the official narrative is about these things. And what's really fascinating from my perspective is for decades after 1945, there was kind of agreement between what elites said and what average people thought, which was 1945 was a defeat, a total defeat a catastrophic defeat and, you know, punct, as the Germans would say. And then over time, I would say probably starting in the 60s, of course, there were already voices in the 1950s, but really from the 60s onwards, some of the more official narratives started to change, where uh, folks were talking about 1945 actually being Befreiung, right, a liberation from this horribly repressive Nazi regime. I think that became the dominant interpretation probably around 1985. Many people speak about this momentous uh, speech that the then president, Richard von Weizsäcker, gave on the 8th of May, 40 years later, where he really emphasized this, this was a day of liberation. And I mean, it's, it's resonated with younger generations of Germans. I saw a poll, I couldn't find any good polls for this year, but five years ago on the 70th anniversary of the end of the war, almost 90% of Germans considered the date to signify liberation. So that's been a very successful kind of, God, in German you would say, umdeutung, right? Change um, of how people perceive that particular event. Now what's fascinating is today, uh, in 2020, uh, and I think Steinmeier kind of uh, spoke about this a little bit, and certainly others like the German foreign minister, Heiko Maas, have spoken about this, that maybe it's no longer progressive 
to consider 1945 just a day of liberation after all, that some people are saying that this is yet another way that average Germans can evade responsibility for their support of the Nazi regime. So once again, we might be in a period of kind of narrative change about what 1945 uh, will mean going forward. Uh, but Mario, as a professor of German history, uh, what's your kind of stance on these changing meanings over time? So I would say also um, in complete agreement with you that 1985, this uh, famous speech by Richard von Weizsäcker was really a turning point. And I would say in many regards, what he said in this really kind of lengthy, uh, actually uh, very sophisticated speech, was something like the consensus for uh, the German public debate about the meaning of uh, May 1945. And so I think for the last uh, decades, uh, Richard von Weizsäcker's speech was pretty much the uh, go-to point to, to think about uh, the historical meaning of, of uh, the state. Um, and actually, it's quite interesting to read the speech uh, again, which I did this afternoon after a long time. Um, and it's actually, as I said, a pretty sophisticated speech about uh, German history in the 20th century, really kind of covering a lot of ground going back to World War I and Versailles and uh, um, placing uh, the, the Nazi dictatorship really in its larger context of 100 years. And then going uh, basically uh, all the way through the history of the Bundesrepublik to the 1980s. And uh, what he says there is actually uh, not, much, not, not so much only about liberation, even though that's certainly the core of, of the speech. He also talks a lot about, of course, the meaning of Nazi Germany to uh, German public memory. He talks about uh, the, the debate about collective guilt. Um, so can we actually have something like collective guilt? Uh, how should we deal with that? And he also discusses, I think, in a very interesting way, this question. So to what extent is 1945 really a caesura? Is, is it the Stunde Null, uh, which he obviously is not uh, agreeing with, uh, but if it's not a Stunde Null, what is it instead, right? And um, so he, he explains it um, basically in a, in a way that looks back to Nazi Germany and basically says, yeah, okay, this is the moment where uh, the Germans had to come to terms, basically, or had to start to come to terms with an uh, experience of, of a cruel, uh, um, enormously deadly uh, dictatorship. But he also offers a, a forward-looking perspective, and that's pretty much, okay, this is basically the moment where we could reinvent what Germany was to a certain extent. We could become a democracy, and we could become a democracy within Europe. And I think also the European dimension of, of the state is actually very relevant to our current debate. What do you think, uh, uh, Eric, about the, the European uh, part of, of uh, this um, uh, commemoration of this date? Well, you know, it's, it's very interesting. Um, Europeans had a hard time commemorating World War I together for a long time. And then I think there was the famous reconciliatory gesture between Helmut Kohl and Francois Mitterrand at Verdun. Um, at, for one of the anniversaries. World War II has always been a little bit more difficult, well, just given the sheer destructiveness and the sheer nastiness of the Nazi regime. 
And I, I recall there were a couple of commemorations where some German chancellors were miffed that they weren't invited to the D-Day commemorations in France or, or things like that. You know, I, I think it's kind of interesting because I don't see that much of a truly European um, kind of narrative to the, the 8th of May, or at least maybe they, there was an incipient narrative, but now it's starting to change again. Right. So, of course, one of the big political cultural trends over the last few years has been kind of the return of nationalism. Right. So one of the things that struck me and of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so people can't do things the way that they may have planned. But I was really struck this year by just how national each of the um, uh, celebrations were, or at least that's how the media uh, tried to portray it. Right. So you see these pictures from the toned down celebrations or commemorations in Moscow with the flyover and, you know, the Russian colors from the jets and things like that. You see in Britain, you know, Union Jacks everywhere. And of course, Churchill paraphernalia um, um, uh, ubiquitously. So I don't know. I mean, I think that Europeans have always struggled to come up with a European um, kind of narrative to the whole thing. And it's also, I think, problematic from the German perspective. Right, because Germans, of course, have been very good Europeans for many decades now, but that's also problematic, right? So I remember, and well, I remember, a few years ago, there started to be some really interesting scholarship and then uh, media explorations into um, kind of non-Germans who had collaborated with, sometimes very enthusiastically, with the SS with the Nazis in the Holocaust, uh, of course, the, the singular event of the World War II era. And that's also problematic, I think, from a German perspective, because, and again, some of the speeches this time around uh, reminded us that Germans were the perpetrators. Germans were the ones that, that started all of this destruction um, until it came back and destroyed them as well. Uh, so I don't know. I, I feel like a European dimension is always very difficult to achieve when it comes to World War II. Maybe we need another 25 years, another 50 years, and then we can get some kind of pan-European uh, uh, understanding or commemoration, but I don't quite see that yet. Yeah, but if, if we I... go back to Weizsäcker just for a second, the other thing that always struck me about that speech is that he very clearly codified uh, German remembrance, right? He said very explicitly, first, we remember the murdered Jews of Europe, right, through the Holocaust. And then he, he listed all the other kind of um, groups, such as uh, non-German civilians who suffered under Nazi hegemony. So I think that was kind of interesting as well. And the, the, the reason why that was, I think, so important was, you know, for the first decades, it wasn't just that Germans saw 1945 as a, de as a defeat, but they were also, I think, very focused on their own right. feelings of suffering. Right. Right. First and foremost, of course, would be the expellees, the 12 to 14 million Germans who lost their 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 homes in then Eastern Germany and had to go elsewhere, mainly to West Germany, but to Austria, to North America, to East Germany as well. And I mean, so 1985 was that kind of hinge where Germans, I think, moved away from um, focusing on their own feelings of loss and suffering and started to open up to truly acknowledge the suffering that they had inflicted on others. But I'm sorry, Jeff, you wanted to um, say something? Well, I was, I was just going to uh, mention um, one thing that struck me is there's also this, um, we've had 35 years with this dominant paradigm, um, as you've just uh, described, um, Mario and Eric, 
and there's there's a bit of an attempt, I think, uh, to to redefine um, that paradigm. And I think we saw that uh, last week in the uh, the objection from the AFD uh, uh, leader uh, Alexander Gaulan uh, to his attempt to kind of shift the conceptual battlefield, maybe in a way. Uh, there was a question about whether May eighth should be made a permanent holiday. Uh, and in response to that, uh, Gaulan's uh, reply was that, you know, he, he called the, the you know, May 8th uh, the total defeat of Germany, um, and in which Germany, as he put it, lost its um, Gestaltungsmöglichkeit. He was not in the mood of Holocaust denial, but instead talking about the loss of German, um, you know, uh, sovereignty in a way. And ability to shape events, um, and without denying that there were that there were beneficiaries of May eighth, he broke that uh, that hierarchy that you described, Eric, um, and he kind of set the sufferings of German civilians uh, with as equivalent in some way to those of Holocaust victims um, in prisoners at concentration camps and so forth. Um, in a way, that way, kind of relativizing Nazi Nazi crimes and and raising the idea of Germans as victims uh, again. And so uh, one question that really sticks with me is, uh, you know, to what to what extent with the you know, 75 years after the events, will those interpretations find new receptive um, uh, listeners uh, in, in Germany uh, as, uh, as we move forward? Yeah, so yeah. If, if, if I may weigh in. So uh, what I would uh, like to emphasize is that, of course, this discussion is not entirely new, right? I mean, this is going on basically for at least uh, three and a half decades now. Uh, so this, because this paradigm that uh, German history is based, basically in the 20th century very much about Germans being perpetrators, you know, kind of the consensus as we described it uh, in 85, was, uh, of course, never undisputed. Um, so, I mean, 85, if we look back to the 1980s, and I think they're really in many regards a linchpin decade, uh, Richard von Weizsäcker's speech actually is at the very beginning of an intense debate about what German history is about, right? So 80, 85 is his speech. And then in 86, um, the, the Historikerstreit starts, basically, with uh, this article by, by Anne Neute in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. And that basically goes on uh, until the late 80s almost. And then there's this debate about the German National Museum and so on. I mean, you know, it's a laundry list, but I think it is important to remember this laundry list because it shows that there is always a tension uh, in, in uh, German uh, debate, at least since the 1980s, between, on the one hand, the perspective of German German, uh, Germany as a nation of perpetrators and of perpetrators of one of the biggest genocides in uh, human uh, history. And then on the other hand, uh, you have kind of the revisionist, I don't know if that's the right term, but let's, let's uh, call it revisionist, uh, that says basically no Germany has to think about itself more as a normal nation. And that means there are also positive aspects and it's very much about balancing out, so to speak, uh, Nazi Germany in comparison to other parts of, of uh, German history. And I would say Gauland actually started doing this uh, much earlier. Uh, I mean, in 2018, as you uh, remember, he called Hitler basically 
a birdshit uh, in German history. I mean, that was his, his uh, choice of words, right? Hitler is not, actually not really relevant if you look at thousand years of German history. Then it's just uh, bird poop. That's it. And that's basically pretty much what revisionists say, said uh, since the 1980s. You know, it's not just about uh, Nazi Germany. We have to think about other aspects of, of German history. Um, and I think Gauland is very much uh, in a part of this kind of tradition of thinking about uh, German history from a conservative right wing perspective. I mean, he's, he's very right wing, not very conservative, I would argue. Um, uh, Eric, what's your take on that? What, what do you think about this uh, tension between revisionism and, and the consensus? Well, um, I have very complex thoughts on that. And, That's good. Um, That's good. It, it's amazing how this goes back 10, 15, 20 years in, in stuff that I've thought about and, and kind of written about as well. Um, so I'll try to find the right words to say, the, say what I want to say. Um, sometimes as much as you can agree with a consensus, as I do with the, the dominant narrative of uh, the German past, what I call Holocaust-centered memory, as much as I agree with that, sometimes these kinds of consensuses can become a little um, constraining. And one of the things that I've always uh, believed, maybe even advocated for, is that there's a way to have a progressive memory, right, taking the right lessons, remembering uh, the, the, the correct things about the past, but there's a way to have a kind of progressive memory where everybody can be properly located, right? And that's one of the reasons why I keep coming back to von Weizsäcker, because it wasn't just that there was kind of like a hierarchy of um, German remembrance, but it was also very inclusive. And I think that a lot of folks that, that have thought about what I call the memory of German suffering, but others call the memory of German victimization. I don't like the term, especially in the English language, because it has a certain connotation. But I think that those that, that, that have thought, maybe even advocate for the memory of German suffering, have really felt like second-class citizens. And you know, it's also really fascinating, as we've talked about before in this podcast and, and elsewhere, the AFD, the Alternative for Germany that Gauland is kind of a leader of, uh, is especially strong in Eastern Germany. And Eastern Germany, of course, has been characterized by, by these feelings of second-class citizenship, probably from the very beginning. So I can't help but think that, there, that there's a reason for that resonance uh, in Eastern Germany. But I would also like to think that there's a way that we can get back to the inclusivity of von Weizsäcker and you know, understand the, the central kind of meaning of the Nazi period and uh, uh, the World War II era, which was this horribly just genocidal dictatorship that perpetrated, as you said, one of the worst, if not the worst, genocide in human history. Yet at the same time, there also were a lot of average Germans, whether they supported the regime or not, that also um, had very bad experiences, right? Uh, during especially the end uh, uh, phases of World War II and then immediately after. So I've long hoped that more progressive forces in, in Germany, both politically, culturally, and academia, could find a way to, to, um, to get some space for all of these different facets of, um, of this historical period and its memory. 
Yeah, um, if, if I may add, you started basically our discussion with uh, the observation that uh, public discourse and uh, individual memory are not necessarily on the same page. And I would also add, actually, uh, because we are, I'm an historian, obviously, um, there's also the, the dimension of, of uh, historical reflection, right? And it's so, I, I find it so interesting when I read about uh, the, the current debate about uh, um, May 8th, that it's so much really still in kind of following the paradigm of the 1980s and early 1990s. It's, it, it's, it's very interesting because um, in terms of what we know about the Holocaust, actually, I would argue that the Holocaust research has uh, made gigantic strides since the 1990s. So when the, the archives in Eastern Europe opened up, um, actually we, we, have a, uh, we had a kind of a deluge of really new insights what the, what the Holocaust looked like. And this, as far as I can see, does not play really a, a larger role in the current debate, uh, that there has been basically a watershed moment also in, in Holocaust research. Um, so I would say Gaoland actually plays really with, with a lot of the, the um, uh, kind of his, historical um, reference points uh, since the 1980s. And they're always the same, let's be honest. It's also not very creative, right? It's always about the bombing war against Germany. It's about uh, a flight and expulsion. Uh, and it's about German suffering. And the attempt is always to have something like a balance, right? So you, you think about mm -hmm. 6 million Jews, and then you say something about uh, Germans uh, suffering. And so it's, it's also interesting that the, these uh, kind of um, firmly established uh, images are so stable right now for, uh, and, and uh, available for, for the current debate. And historians, uh, especially uh, Holocaust historians, as far as I can see, don't play really a, a larger role in this debate. Uh, or am, am I wrong? I mean, I'm, I'm also not really following every little part of this debate. But I haven't seen a lot of uh, uh, reflection uh, about the role of the Holocaust in, in German history from the perspective, really, of, of historians. I think that that's a really, really right-on observation, Mario, if I may say. And I think it also has to do with the fact that, you know, we have quite a bit of specialization in all, all the disciplines these days, but particularly in the historical discipline. And I feel like those people who... Uh, research and study the Holocaust don't always speak to the people who are studying, you know, military history, for instance, or who are studying, um, well, I guess there still are some, but not a lot that are studying flight and expulsion and things like that. So I think that it, it partially has to do with kind of like the specialization, but even from kind of German public discourse, public uh, commemoration and memorialization, we're seeing a separation of these different kind of events. Right. So there are um, other opportunities for Germans to reflect on and to remember the crimes of the Holocaust. Right. Like uh, January 27th, uh, which we also kind of covered at AICGS, the anniversary of the liberation of um, Auschwitz. There are several other um, Holocaust remembrance days. Um, so I think that the 8th of May is kind of uh, not the opportunity. Right. To speak about the Holocaust, but maybe it should be. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the, you said it's, it's a specialized field, and I think that's, that's really true uh, also because it's, 
in itself very specialized. But I, I sometimes wonder why certain insights of, of um, uh, historians don't really inform the public discourse. So, I mean, you know, one important part that could actually inform uh, the current debate is the, the research into the, the role of Volksgemeinschaft's ideology, right? So, which basically is, is a research field that shows how uh, everyday life was very much infused by um, a Nazi ideology and that uh, a lot of Germans were actually part of, of larger crimes and were cooperating fully and some, sometimes also cheerfully uh, with, with the Nazi dictatorship. Uh, and Weizsäcker talks really uh, also uh, very much about uh, this, this tension, right, uh, that uh, Germans uh, actually were uh, perpetrators and that it's something we have to remember because otherwise we don't understand for example flight and impulsion that's his his big claim you have to see that in in connection right it's basically uh, action and reaction in many ways um, but uh, these these uh, discussions about the role of, of normal Germans so to speak uh, have not really uh, found a lot of traction in the last few years. I think the last big debate we had, or big debate, uh, was about uh, Götz Ali's uh, uh, theses about, uh, for example, German everyday uh, Germans um, benefiting from uh, expropriation of, of Jews. Uh, uh, that was a big thing, I think, for a while. Uh, but there is something like a like a the typical short-term amnesia, you know, these, these debates don't add up. That's, I think, is very interesting. They build on each other, but they don't add up. It's not like you have progress, so to speak, right? Um, and so we are basically repeating several of the, the older debates, uh, which I think is also very much the structure of public memory in many ways. Well, I know that we're starting to come to uh, the end of our time, but Mario, I did want to ask you one more question. Uh, because I do agree 100% that we're still stuck in the paradigms or the positions of the 1980s. And, you know, I, I do personally think that there were a couple of opportunities where things could have started to change. I remember around uh, the year 2000, maybe 2000, 2005, there was a return of this memory of German suffering. And it seemed that, that some progressive actors like members of the Green Party were all of a sudden starting to understand that, that this is also an experience that, that ought to be um, dealt with. But nothing came of it and we kind of went back to the kind of like old uh, positions. So what do you think is going to happen going forward? I mean, how do you think we could um, get beyond uh, that old paradigm into something new and hopefully helpful, if not progressive, small p progressive, yeah. um, for uh, German and European politics and culture? Actually, I don't know. And I have to say I'm also a little bit skeptical about that because one thing I find so striking is, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's assume we are right, that we're still following the debates of the 1980s, more or less. Maybe we're wrong, I don't know, but let's assume we are right. The interesting thing is that we're not in the 1980s anymore, right? And we have this, this long debate also about generational change. And I mean, the end of the war was 75 years ago, right? And society has really changed massively, not just in, in terms of age, 
uh, and and uh, you know people still uh, remembering certain time periods. It's also that Germany as a society has changed, as we know. So this this debate about how can we actually still commemorate Nazi Germany and the end of of World War II when it's receding into the past. Um, you know, for for a lot of the debates we we look at uh, uh, when we look at the Alte Bundesrepublik, were debates about a history that was still smoking. To uh, use uh, Rothfeld's um, um, phrase here, and honestly, uh, World War II is not smoking anymore, right? Uh, there is no not much smoke uh, visible anymore, and that seems to be really a problem. So, how can we translate? memory of uh, World War II and Nazi Germany into uh, the 21st century under completely changed circumstances in many ways. And I don't know, actually. Uh, you, you started with polls, right? I have read a poll earlier, obviously it's a poll by the site, and that uh, said, uh, recent polls, and that said that 53% of, of Germans are uh, allegedly uh, um, ready to uh, let the past be past. And 53%, that's quite a lot of uh, people. And so how can you actually convince 53% that 1945 is still relevant? For you and me, it's clear. And also for, for Jeff, we don't have to discuss it here among us, but I don't know how you uh, actually do this in in Germany right now. Um, if, if, if I could chime in there, right, because I think, uh, you know, Mario, you've hit upon something that's quite interesting, and that is that this discussion about, um, you know, the meaning of the end of World War II, it, it is also, there's an overlay of the, uh, the responsibility uh, debate uh, in Germany, which has been going on for, you know, maybe not uh, for 25 years, but, uh, but well, actually going back, I'd say 30 years, uh, starting with the George H.W. Uh, Bush Mainz speech. And it's been a persistent theme intensifying uh, since the election of Donald Trump uh, with uh, Chancellor Merkel's uh, statement that Germany uh, needs to take on um, uh, greater responsibility. And I think you can see that um, you know, permeating the way that President Steinmeier uh, talked, uh, talked about uh, May 8th. Uh, it's about this struggle for relevance, how to make the, 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 this his, historical, um, uh, these historical lessons relevant today. Uh, for example, uh, Steinmeier says, if, if Europe fails, so does our, that is Germany's, um, never again pledge. Um, so uh, trying to kind of raise the, raise the stakes for people who may be so distant in, in their own lives from these incidents that, uh, that they find it hard to, uh, that, that they don't burn uh, within them. And, and, uh, and so uh, I think this uh, intersection with the responsibility debate uh, comes through. And, and in particular, there's, there's the, uh, the, the line, uh, which I think is one of the best lines in Steinmeier's speech, which is, in 1945, we were liberated. Today, we must liberate ourselves, liberate ourselves from the temptations of a new brand of nationalism from a facet nation with authoritarianism, um, from distrust, isolationism, and hostility, et cetera. Uh, so I think that uh, that, that is uh, you know, the, the, the really important uh, core of, of this public debate. It's about making sure, finding ways to, 
uh, not only to rededicate ourselves, uh, as Lincoln put it in the Gettysburg Address, um, to these principles, but to make them real and, and alive for the generations uh, that are going to shape German politics for decades to come. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, again, um, we come to full circle, basically. Um, um, Weizsäcker's speech also, uh, at, uh, at some point, comes down to the lessons learned, so to speak. And he doesn't talk so much about nationalism and authoritarianism. He talks more about human and uh, civil rights, basically. So that's, that's his big lesson uh, he takes away from, from the uh, Nazi uh, experience. Um, so we had a dictatorship, so let's think about the values which are important. And since he placed these values, not just in the national context, but also in the European context, I think that also Steinmeier and, and Weizsäcker ha have maybe quite a bit in common, actually, even though they uh, have a slightly different language. Mm -hmm. um, and that, by the way, could be one way uh, um, still to, to keep uh, uh, 1945 relevant and that's also not really um, leaving the the well-trodden path is really to uh, emphasize the the uh, moral um, uh, dimension of the Holocaust experience that can sometimes um, appear a little bit you know kind of showing the finger to the Germans but I think still that's, that's uh, at the very core of it, right? The never again is basically a, a, a normative statement. And that could be still quite important, I think also for, for commemoration of May 45. If I could just add a, a final thought from uh, my perspective, and this goes back to um, Alexander Gauland that uh, uh, Jeff mentioned, I mean, this is the dilemma of German commemoration, right? That, you know, Germans have to, they ought to remember uh, the crimes of the Nazi period, the Holocaust um, above everything else, but all the other crimes as well. Yet at the same time, there were quite a few average Germans that had a tough go of it, right? I mean, anybody who has uh, uh, roots in Germany, my grandmother lived through the war, for instance, and in fact, her youngest sister just died two weeks ago. She was the last person of that generation who had lots of kind of stories about the hardship that they went through in their little village in Bavaria, right? Um, I think that if, if official Germany can't find a way to incorporate appropriately those other dimensions of 1945, then you're going to have Alexander Gauland's popping up every five years, every 10 years going forward. Right. So I think that, that, like, that's the dilemma that I guess the 1980s have um, bequeathed to us. And I, I really do believe that we need to find a way, Germans need to find a way to incorporate everything, um, also as a way to inoculate themselves precisely against this kind of nationalism that Steinmeier and so many others have kind of warned um, against. So just my, I guess, four cents. Well, I think that's a... A great, uh, a, a great way to bring us uh, to uh, back into the present after making a foray to May eighth, uh, nineteen forty-five, um, and and I want to thank uh, Eric and Mario for, for helping uh, you know, orient in the present and uh, establishing or defining the relevance for the future of uh, of how we remember 
um, what we remember, uh, how, uh, and how it shapes us. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören!